Are you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? <laughs> well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb. And then smart again. I'm Helen Hong. And now, from Sleeping Village in Chicago, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. Wow. Hello, my hometown of Chicago. I, I stole that from Oprah. It seems to work very well for her. <laughs> Uh, I'm so excited to be here, Helen. How are you? I'm very well. Uh, so I am from Chicago, but you all you visit Chicago quite often I because do. you come here for uh, for wait wait don't tell me. Yes, I'm uh, here about once a month, and I love Chicago. Uh, it's really it's. Have you guys done the riverboat tour? Oh. Applause for a tour. I that's do much, it. That's how we do it in the Midwest. I do it literally every time I come here. I've probably done it like seven times, and I and I can't get enough of it. And I've done every version of the art. Do, don't take the the Architecture Society one though. It is really eggheady. Like I'm like I haven't understood a third of the words that you've yeah. said. Because also, I, you, also you tend to titter every time they say buttress. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, or titter. For that matter, <laughs> yeah, uh, I actually have never done that tour. I can't believe that yeah, you're from I'm, here. I know. Well, you know, when you're from here, when for you're from Chicago, you know Chicago things, and then you talk like you're from New York for some reason. I don't quite understand that. That's uh, true. I'm from New York, and I probably yeah. didn't go to the Empire State Building until I was like well into my 20s. I was like, ugh, that's for tourists. Yeah, yeah. No, but uh, I, I, I would like to do that. Uh, I like to think that when I come here, I get to, I get to have my own tour. Uh, it's called uh, Places That Don't Exist Anymore and Are Now at Chipotle. <laughs> and let me tell you, that tour is getting longer and longer. <laughs> uh, it's wonderful to be here. We've got a wonderful show for you. Uh, let's get started. Today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Helen, who is up first. She is an Emmy and Peabody Award-winning radio host, TV personality, and writer who can be heard coast-to-coast -coast every weeknight as the host of Spain & Company on ESPN Radio. It's Sarah Spain! Sarah Spain! Sarah Welcome Spain! Sarah bringing a can of beer out with her as She's a Chicago a pro. Is that Ham's the beer refreshing Ham's? It's the good stuff. All right, we don't mess around here. Also, the only one you have. <laughs> Welcome, Sarah! Sarah wel <laughs> Sarah, welcome. Sarah's uh, throwing shade already. I love it. Yeah. I'm sorry, Your Highness. What kind of beer would you prefer? I'll let you know next time. All right. Uh, now, Sarah, Helen mentioned in her intro that you have won a Peabody Award, the real Peabody Award. Wow. Uh, and it was for something that uh, that was very uh, very uh, iconic and unusual and 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 heavy. So, but if you don't mind talking about it, I, I'd love for everybody to know about it. If you haven't already seen it, you should. Yeah. So it's for a PSA called More Than Mean. And it was highlighting and spotlighting the kind of harassment that female sports reporters get in what is still a predominantly male industry. And there have been a lot of stories written about it and a lot of women who have talked about it, but the kind of twist was there were a bunch of men who, unsuspecting, were asked to come read mean tweets to me and another female sportscaster, and they thought they would be funny, and they got progressively worse and more awful. 
and it really shined a light on what we deal with every mm. day just for doing our jobs. And also I think people really uh, found it powerful because they saw men be very vulnerable mm. and very emotionally affected by it. And unfortunately, sometimes people don't care when women are emotionally affected by things. But when men get really upset, <laughs> it's a big deal. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a female stand-up comic. I have no idea what you're no, talking I'm about. No, sure you don't. <laughs> I am not in a male-dominated industry whatsoever. Yeah. Maybe you should do a follow-up. It was, I watched it again today. I, m- I remember watching it at the time, and I watched it again today, and it, 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 it's still very effective. I think it's at over like something like 5 million views, and it cost, from what I read, like $300 to get yes. that made. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, it just shows you the impact that you can have just with, with, with creativity and, uh, and a few bucks. Yeah. Terrific. Uh, now, of course, you talk about sports. You also have played sports. Uh, what was that transition like? going from playing to professionally talking about it. What did you play? I did field hockey, basketball, and track at good old Lake Forest High School. Yes. Yeah. Go Cougars. Scouts. Sure. Oh. Scouts Scouts over here. They'll tell you what's up. Yeah. Write that in your notes. Jay Keith is fired. Scouts. Scouts. Yes. Um, And then I went on to do heptathlon, which is seven events at Cornell University. And then, um, yeah, and then all of a sudden you're just a washed-up athlete, which is a tough transition. (laughs) But then you talk to other people about how still they're very good at it. And that's not hard at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've got a great setup because you do Spain and Company. It airs nationwide on ESPN. You've got a podcast through uh, ESPN also. But you host these shows from your home. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> that is the yes. life, ladies Not and gentlemen. Yeah. yeah. Wait, I heard you backstage saying you have a converted closet. Yes. So my husband and I were looking at houses, and our priority was first our dogs, and then the other priority was can I do my radio show and my podcast from home and therefore not have to put on pants most days? And we found a place with an extra like third-floor closet, turned it into a studio, and now there we go. Oh, and my God. So you invite guests to your home, and you're like, come into my closet. I'm not wearing pants. All the guests are just over the line and not in person, thankfully. So oh, okay. I still don't have oh, to wear Oh, so pants. you're literally not wearing pants? Just alone. Oh, pantsless, even, better, even better. Sweating. Uh, I, can't, I can't have AC in there, because it'll make too much noise. Right. right. So on a really hot day, it's just me on a third floor. Heat rises, just pantsless, like... <laughs> The glamour of show business, kids, huh? Yeah. This is an amazing Never a dull moment. Uh, You get to twice a week appear on a a show that I love called Around the Horn, which is a show of competitive banter where uh, where a a scorekeeper rates uh, how you do and gives you points on your arguments. What is the key to winning Around the Horn as a panelist? Ooh, okay. So the host, Tony Reale, Mm -hmm. has certain words that if you say them you will get muted and points will get taken away. Mm-hmm. So he has a mute button, which we always say would be so useful in any number of places, but especially in presidential debates. <laughs> like, instead of just having to tell them, no, your name hasn't been invoked, like, yeah. one sentence is what we ask for. Just mute and get to the next person. <laughs> I like um, that. But yeah, he has or a mute button. Or on dates. That, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, or for my husband, to be fair. And he's not here for any number of reasons. Um, <laughs> You get points a lot for good stats. He mm-hmm. likes a good stat. He likes a good kind of callback joke at someone else on the panel's expense. There's four of us. Mm-hmm. So if someone makes a mistake or says something, he loves a good jab at their expense. Um, and then again, those words. So you can't say optics, narrative. Uh, there's a bunch of other ones. I and like so, this guy. Yeah, you get. You have to like in your brain be like, oh, I want to say narrative. What's another word? Yeah. Storyline. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we are happy for the narrative that has brought the optics of Miss Sarah Spain to our stage. Sarah Spain. <laughs> Helen, I am very excited for the answer to this question. Against whom will Sarah Spain be competing? I'm excited too. 
He is an Emmy and Peabody winning journalist, producer, and narrator whose 50 plus year career includes the movie Anchorman and being the judge and scorekeeper on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, it's Bill Curtis! Bill Curtis! Welcome, oh. Bill Curtis. Thank you very much. It is an honor and a pleasure to have you here. Uh, Helen mentioned in your introduction uh, that you have a Peabody as well. In fact, I believe you have two Peabodies. Doesn't everybody? <laughs> <laughs> We're having our episode tonight is a Peabody off. Yes. I, Congratulations to you, Sarah, though. And you on both. Helen, of course, mentioned that you're a judge and scorekeeper on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, uh, a show on which Helen is often a panelist. Tonight, Helen is a judge and scorekeeper, and you are a panelist. And I am so scared. I hope I was nice. <laughs> yeah. Helen mentioned something to me backstage about payback time. I'm not sure if that means anything to you. You're usually the one that's scorekeeping, and you just have this, uh, that amazing golden voice that uh, sometimes, uh, literally half the time you're speaking, I don't, I don't even know what you're saying. I'm just like sighing, like, oh. <laughs> that, that's the because, voice of Bill Curtis. Yes, that's because I was saying, Helen, you didn't get any oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, but I it's, tried to do it nicely. Yeah, it's yeah. easier to hear coming from you. Is your voice something that you, you consciously developed into a, an instrument for uh, performing and newscasting and narrating? Yes, but, you know, I never took any lessons. Mm -hmm. It came when I was 16, and I You got sounded a, like this at 16. Yeah, well, almost. Almost. I, I imagine you had no problem finding people to go to the dance with you. <laughs> I got a job at the local radio station, small town, Independence, Kansas, and worked there for about three years. Best experience I've ever had. Mm. So, if you can identify a talent or a love of what you want to do and start as early as you can, that gives you a big advantage. So, when I got out of law school, uh, I had 10 years experience mm. in radio. Now, it was a big decision. Do I go to law? Do I stay in broadcasting? And Fortunately, I made the right I, I would think so. Although, could you imagine Bill Curtis arguing a case in court? I mean, how, how could you lose? I know the judges would be swooning, like, yeah. ah. I you appreciate win. you guys finding someone with a lower voice than me. It's tough sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We tried to get Barry White, but he was so sadly unavailable. Uh, now, I, uh, I, I mentioned I, that I... I make love, and I... Oh, my God. I can do love. You know what? Pregnant. <laughs> Forget everything else that we planned. I would just like to hear this for the next 40 minutes. Uh, Bill Curtis, I mentioned that I grew up in Chicago, and so I think you, you have a special place in the hearts of people who grew up here uh, because, uh, yes, as, as agreed there. Uh, my bedtime as a kid was 10 o'clock unless I stayed on the floor of my father's bed to watch the 10 o'clock news on Channel 2 CBS. And you were lucky if you could. This is a very, very important thing. Uh, so many kids uh, will come up to me. I uh, watch you all my life. How? Well, we were able to watch television during the evening, but then my mother and father took it over at 10 o'clock. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, if we wanted to watch the news, we could. Otherwise, we had to go to bed. So, uh, Sarah, uh, the child, like, like uh, you, mm -hmm. um, came in. They sat next to the parent, father, mother, and there was America. Mm. That is no longer there. Right. 
because we don't have that ritual, that routine of watching it at 10 o'clock. Yeah. Do you have it around a dinner table? Mm. Probably not. Mm -hmm. So I wish we had more of it. Uh, and, and, you know, we're there watching, watching something together, no distractions, no phones to look at, no other media or anything. Yeah. And then in the commercial breaks, talking about current events, talking yeah. about the stories of, about the different morality and, and decisions that go into to each issue, uh, brought to you by Bill Curtis. You're actually uh, learning something. Yes. It, Every so, homicide in the city of Chicago. Yes. <laughs> it explains a lot of my childhood, actually, now that you mention it. It's been quite a career, and, uh, of course, uh, people remember you from narrating Anchorman. I imagine that that uh, opened you up to a whole new audience as well, sure. There was a time. Ah! <laughs> a time before cable, when only men read the news. And Again, I don't care about the rest of the show. 40 more minutes of this, please. No, no, no. Did you notice a difference in how people approached you uh, after Anchorman came out? Because you weren't on camera for that, if I'm not mistaken. No, it, was all, it, it was all audio. You know, I was afraid this is a career ender. <laughs> uh, absolutely, you know. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a journalist. I'm very serious. Mm -hmm. I want to win another Peabody. That's right. And um, I didn't know that every anchor man in the country wanted that role <laughs> <laughs> and would call me. So now it's uh, something of a ritual that all the TV stations in San Diego will call. And uh, they just want me to come out, sit there in an interview situation, and then say... You stay classy, San Diego. <laughs> Which they then will replay. Uh, uh, what you know? They were a bunch of uh, Second City guys. Sure. Adam McKay, now an Oscar winner. Steve Carell, sure, as uh, the weatherman. Right. And they come back through town, so you had an awful lot. You know, Second City is a wonderful, wonderful thing we it, have. It really is, and uh, it's also incredibly wonderful that uh, I get to talk with you, someone who I've grown up watching and, and uh, respect so much. I'm very pleased to welcome you and have you, Mr. Bill Curtis. <laughs> I also like you, Sarah. Okay. Fine. I get it. Okay. <laughs> Uh, all right. We have asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Sarah, you told us you know a lot about rescue dogs, 90s Saturday Night Live characters, and grammar. Ooh. Our audience is the one that will woo for grammar. <laughs> and don't think I don't love it, baby. Uh, whereas, Bill, you said you know a lot about Frank Sinatra's big band music, World War II in Okinawa, and the prairie, <laughs> which I believe, which I believe is our first topic of an ecosystem. <laughs> uh, later on, we'll ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our "What's the Difference?" round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today: Cubs and White Sox. <laughs> First up in Cubs and White Sox, Sarah with Cubs. Sarah, what is the difference between a Cub Scout and what has traditionally been called a Boy Scout? Now, you probably know that Boy Scouts of America recently changed their names to Scouts BSA, but the difference between a Cub Scout and a Scout BSA has not changed. So again, I will ask, what is the difference between a Cub Scout and a Boy Scout? And apparently you know something about Scouts. Sure do. <laughs> Having gone to a school yeah. where that was your mascot. You no, know, I got that part. <laughs> uh, Sarah looking yes. panicked. So I was a brownie for a week, I think. Oh. <laughs> I looked down into like a mirror thing and I had to talk about seeing my reflection. I don't remember anything else. Um, okay, I believe a Cub Scout and a Boy Scout differ based on the age. I believe a Cub Scout is younger okay. and a Boy Scout is older. All right, anything else? You're going to stick just with that part. 
think I'm good. All right. <laughs> we'll find out. Uh, we have Sarah's answer, but you don't know yet if she is correct. Bill Curtis, what do you think? Oh, she is correct. I was a b- Boy Scout. You were a Boy oh, Scout. Oh, yeah, and a Cub Scout. Okay. Uh, I was not an Eagle Scout, but uh, we went camping, and that's kind of where I developed a love for camping out. And prairies, maybe. <laughs> well, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, this, uh, this segment has wandered off into the woods. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. <laughs> Here are the facts. Cub Scouting has long been a program of the Boy Scouts of America, now called Scouts BSA, so they are both members of the same organization. But the main differences have to do with age and the involvement of adults. Ah. Cub Scouting is tailored to boys 7 to 11 years old. When boys finish fifth grade, they can enter the Boy Scouts program. Cub Scout dens and packs are led by adults, For many years, these were the boys' mothers and were called den mothers, now den leaders. But Boy Scouts, patrols, and troops are led by the youth. Uh, That's right, of course. Another difference is that Cub Scouts wear a blue uniform and Boy Scouts wear a khaki uniform, or so I am told, because I am colorblind. So to me, they just all look like small children with knives. Uh, Helen, what does that mean as far as our scoring goes? I'm going to give Sarah Spain one point, because she did get the age thing right, but you didn't get the uh, adults versus uh, kids being in the leadership roles. One point for Sarah Spain. I'll allow it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I can't add something. Yes, please. Maybe give me another point. I am holding up two fingers. Now, that's a Cub Scout. A Boy Scout is three fingers, and they learn to be brave, thrifty, clean, reverend. (laughs) Point, you. That's a point. Uh, Helen, would you like to give... Troop Beverly Hills, if that gives me any points. (laughs) Helen, would you like to give either Bill or Sarah an additional point? No. All right. Next up in Cubs and White Sox. Sorry, Bill. (laughs) Next up in Cubs and White Sox, Bill with White Sox. Bill, they both are ways to fix a hole in your white socks or whatever color they may be. But when doing so, what is the difference between stitching and darning? Stitching and darning. Well, stitching, um, you can do it in your hotel room. And you go and find out your little... And they should carry their needle and thread. You Mm. just stitch it up. Darning takes a professional hand. Oh. So you have to go to one of the fans who might be sitting in the stands, sort of like tonight. Mm-hmm. They will put it over a, um, a light bulb. Oh. And then they will start darning it together. Is there a darner in the house? <laughs> that actually is surprising that no hands were raised. Uh, all right, so again, the, the, the difference is that stitching you can just do in your hotel room, whereas... <laughs> Well, now we know what Bill is up to on the road, huh? Uh, Whereas darning, you have to get a professional to put something on a light bulb, and then uh, what exactly do they do with the what exactly do they do with the uh, thread in that case? Well, they they weave it together. They weave it together. All right, we have uh, Bill's answer. We don't know yet if he is correct. Sarah, what do you think? Is this like that thing where we get a lifeline? Because my mom is here. <laughs> and has she been darning and stitching? I'm sure, she, she can do literally anything. So I'm uh, sure she I, can darn. I don't believe I we I, have a, I, a mom in the audience lifeline okay, yet on this show. Too bad. Um, something to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that stitching uh, you can do by simply um, uh, uh, using thread to attach a piece to another piece that already exists. And mm-hmm. I believe that darning requires additional fabric. Mm-hmm used to fill the hole or the space that you're then going to stitch. 
Okay. Well, this uh, segment is in need of repair, so let's go to Helen Hong at the judge's table for the facts. Here are the facts. Darning is actually a type of stitching, but when talking about repairing a hole, stitching traditionally means simply using a needle and thread to close the hole by pinching the hole shut and sewing a single line, like you would when you get stitches to close up a cut. Darning is a technique where you use that needle and thread essentially to create a patch by stitching the thread back and forth and up and down, mimicking fabric until it covers the hole. With darning, you are filling in the hole rather than just closing it shut. Now that's right. Now darning done properly actually uses thicker and stretchier thread called darning thread and a special bigger needle called a darning needle. Now when darning socks, you might also use an egg-shaped device to hold open the hole called a darning egg. Sometimes people do use a light bulb. Uh, By the way, darning has fallen out of favor because a six-pack of socks often costs less than a spool of darning thread. (laughs) To which, Sarah, your mother might say, darn. Helen, what does that mean as far as our points go? I'm going to give Sarah uh, one point for, you did kind of get that that stitching is putting two threads attached. And then I think I'm going to give Bill one point um, because you said the light bulb thing, and it's so... Like an egg. It's yeah. so weird. A light bulb is like an egg, but not in every way. It Lesson is. learned. So that's one point for Bill and one point for Sarah. <laughs> Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? After the first round, Sarah Spain has two points and Bill Curtis has one point. Right, but those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. There's nothing quite like sailing in the calm international waters on my ship, the SS Biopic. Avast! It's actually pronounced biopic. No, you dingus! It's biopic! Who the hell says that? It's biopic. Because it's the, the words word for biography and picture. If you... All right, that is enough. Ahoy, I'm Dave Holmes. I'm the host of the newly rebooted podcast, formerly known as International Waters. Designed to resolve petty but persistent arguments like this. How? By pitting two teams of opinionated comedians against each other with trivia and improv games, of course. Winner takes home the right to be right. What podcast be this? It's called Troubled Waters, where we disagree to disagree! Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Sarah Spain with two points and Bill Curtis with one point. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. Sarah Spain, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about rescue dogs, 90s Saturday Night Live characters, and grammar. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about rescue dogs. Yes. So um, my husband and I have three rescue dogs right now, but we, we were attempting to have two of our own and then continually have a foster that we try to find a home to adopt. But we foster failed our second one, and then we currently are foster failing on the third. <laughs> so either we're going to sleep every night with both my husband and I, who are both above six feet tall, and three dogs in one bed, or four dogs if we just decide that we still want to keep that rescue <laughs> mm-hmm. in the mix. So yeah, we, um, we got our first dog about seven years ago from Anti-Cruelty Society here in Chicago. Whoop, whoop. And, um, and then we became those weird people that we used <laughs> to make fun of. And now I think that my dog Fletch is the greatest being human animal celestial that has ever existed. Yeah, what a weirdo. She has all this love in her heart. Just so much 
<laughs> but for like dogs more than humans most of the time. Oh, naturally. Um, and then, so then we started working with Peace for Pits, which is the group we mostly rescue through that tries to find homes for loving bully breeds, as they're called. Uh, all right. Also, Sarah, you said you know a lot about 90s Saturday Night Live characters. Tell us about that. So interestingly enough, as you were talking about how you and your family used to watch the news at night and see Bill Curtis, my parents, who are here, made the either grave error or excellent decision <laughs> to allow me instead to stay up to watch Saturday Night Live at a wow. very young age. So around the age of seven was when we were sitting with a big bowl of popcorn watching and a sketch came on called, and I don't know if you have to bleep this, we'll give it a shot, The Masturbating Zombies. Um, yes, which, we cannot say zombies on Max Fun. Uh, the self-pleasuring zombies. No, no. Um, and uh, it, by the way, is one that never re-airs. Like at the time, they thought it was cool, and then later they were like, eh. Um, and so I asked them what the word meant, and they were like, um, it's when you hit yourself. And I was like, cool. What? And we moved on. Wait, um, how old were you? How old were you? Um, like seven. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, oh my god. But I, uh, I also did a presentation that year in my school for my history class as the McLaughlin Group, <laughs> and I would ask my classmates a question about American history, and I'd be like, wrong. Right. And that was not based on having your watch the McLaughlin Group. It was based it was on watching Dana, Dana Carvey, Carvey yeah, doing the McLaughlin Group. Doing the McLaughlin Group, group on great. SNL. So I mean, last year my birthday party was Saturday Night Live themed. What did that look like? Uh, we went. There was about forty of us. We went to the Saturday Night Live museum here that was here for about a year and a half. Wow. Then we went to Cheeseburger Cheeseburger. Then we went to Harry Carey's. Uh, if, the, if the moon was made of Swiss cheese, would you eat it? That's a terrible <laughs> impression. And then we went on a boat. I'm on a boat. And everyone was dressed as different characters from the show. And I was uh, Linda Richmond from Coffee Talk. I, I love her No big so wolf. Much. I got verklempt. And then, um, yeah, I've just been obsessed with the show. And I was like, I need to be more specific than forever because I wasn't even alive in the 70s. So I just went with 90s. All right. Sounds good. Very good. All right. And then finally, you said you know a lot about grammar. Well, you know, Jay Keith, I thought I knew a lot about grammar. <laughs> and then I started to think about the questions you might ask. And then I realized I probably know very little about, you know, past participles mm -hmm. or whatever. By the way, I that was a run-on sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not to be nitpicky yeah. or anything. That's um, right. And if there's there one thing... There was a semicolon in there. Hello. Yeah. If there's one thing we insist on this show, it's speaking good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, Sarah, instead of summarize, you said you know a lot about rescue dogs, 90s Saturday Night Live characters, and grammar. Today we want to quiz you about 90s Saturday Night Live characters. <laughs> Sarah breathing a sigh of relief, big smile. The grammar would have been embarrassing. I never would... My mom still is like, it's and I, not me. I'm like, what? <laughs> Uh, so what were some of your favorite characters of that era of Saturday Night Live? Oh, my gosh. Well, obviously, Coffee Talk. Mm -hmm. uh, the Sprockets, mm -hmm. obviously. Um, the Cheerleaders. Taco Burrito, What's That Under Your Speedo? You Got Trouble? You're Making Bubble. Um, uh, there's so many. Oh, yeah, you know absolutely. them Church really, Lady. You know them really, really well. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to find out. <laughs> and uh, did you like it more when, uh, when a, a performer would do an impression of someone who was uh, in the media like uh, John McLaughlin, or did you like it when they came up with original characters? Um, you know, probably original only because I was young in the 90s. So it was like, I didn't always get the references they were making. Like, right. I definitely had no idea that John McLaughlin was a real person. I, <laughs> I, think, I think I assumed so, because it would be a weird yeah. thing to make up. But I was only about the Dana Carvey version. I right. didn't, like, know. So I would say probably the made-up characters. Although, 
I really loved all of them. All right. Just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in 90s Saturday Night Live characters to test your mastery in the subject with our expert-level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Bill, listen closely, because if Sarah answers incorrectly, you can steal. Bill, by the way, how much do you know about 90s Saturday Night Live? Was that the Jim Belushi era? Little later. Little later. Little later. later. But by the way, you probably did know Don McLaughlin. Yeah, I mean, and he, he was a real person, right? Yes. All right. Uh, all right, good. Uh, here's your first question for Sarah Spain in 90s SNL characters. Before bringing it to SNL in 1990s, Chris Farley played his motivational speaker character, Matt Foley, at the Second City right here in Chicago. Matt Foley lived in a very specific domicile in a very specific <laughs> part of town. Where did Matt Foley live? I'd like to mention that I'm also a Second City graduate, so our aforementioned love for Second City. Wow. Yeah. Um, he lived in a van down by the river. Helen? That is correct. That is correct, of course. Well done. Uh, fun fact, Chris Farley named the character for his real-life friend who was a soft-spoken Catholic priest named Matt Foley. True story. Wait, I wish I had been able to give the hint. Oh, Helen, if you had needed the hint, Helen, what would the hint have been? It's in a vehicle near a body of water. Thank you. Thank you. Helen Hong, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Question number two. In a memorable sketch from the 1990s, what sports figure who played right here in Chicago portrayed Sweet River Baines, the first black Harlem Globetrotter? That would be Michael Jordan. Helen? That is correct. That is correct, Michael Jordan. Easy peasy. Mm -hmm. He also went on with Stuart Smalley and did, I'm good enough. Yes. I'm smart enough. <laughs> Doggone it. People like me. <laughs> he sure did. Uh, let's call you Michael J. I remember that. <laughs> yes, 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 that was great. <laughs> All right, you're two for two. Here's question number three. Molly Shannon, who was born in a town not far from right here in Chicago, played a, <laughs> played a Catholic schoolgirl who liked to stick her hands in her armpits and smell them and who always seemed to find metal folding chairs to fall onto. What was this character's name? This was my sister's costume at my party last year. <laughs> and she's here, Mary Catherine Gallagher. Ellen, that is correct. That is, of course, correct. Superstar. Superstar. <laughs> three for three, you have yet to use a hint. Here's question number four. What Second City alum who was born right here in Chicago <laughs> hosted SNL in 1991, where he made his first of several appearances in the 1990s as Bob Swirsky? I believe I know it, but I'll take your hint. Helen, how about that first hint? Bob Swirsky was one of the super fans of Da Bears. Da Bears. Everybody? Da Bears. It's not really a hint. Uh, I knew that part. I had a grabber last week. It makes it a baker's dozen. Um, I believe it's Bob Went. Helen, is it Bob Went? Not exactly. No, I'm terribly sorry. Bill with a chance to steal. It was a George Went. Oh. Was it George Went? It yes, was. it was. I was mixing him with Robert Smigel, yes. who was one of the other doctors. Yes, he was. Uh, fun fact, George Went is the uncle of former SNL cast member Jason Sudeikis. Oh. oh. How about that? Wow. Nepotism. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's right. Obviously, Sudeikis has only gotten as far as he yes. is because of George Went. <laughs> no talent. All right, let's see if you can bounce back with question number five. This, is, uh, this might be a little Bob tricky. Went. Question number five. In the 1990s, two performers joined the cast of SNL, bringing with them characters that they played at the Annoyance Theater right here in Chicago. That's right. I majored in pandering at college. Did yes, I mention apparently. That? I'm sensing a theme. Yeah. Name one of these performers. Would you like your second hint? Yeah, probably. That's very... Uh... Helen, how about that second hint? 
One of them played Jan Brady at The Annoyance and on SNL. The other played Marsha Brady at The Annoyance and on SNL. I know that Ben Stiller's wife played one of them in a movie, but she was not on SNL, so it is not her, who was also in Dodgeball. Um, if only you had chosen the topic of Christine Taylor. Yes, there, that's the name expertise. I'm looking for. I don't remember the Bradys on SNL somehow, hmm. but I presume it's two women, mm-hmm. although that's not an easy presumption on SNL. It could very mm-hmm. easily not right. be two women. Is there anyone who uh, perhaps had a physical resemblance in some manner to... Uh, I'm going to go Victoria with? Jackson. Helen, is it Victoria Jackson? It is not no, Victoria Jackson. No, I'm terribly Jackson. sorry. Bill Curtis with a chance to steal. I'd know it if I heard it. I would think of all people you would understand how a radio quiz show would work, but no. Uh, uh, Helen, is it he'd know it if he heard it? It is not. <laughs> no, uh, we were looking for Melanie Hutzel, who played uh, Jan Brady, and Beth Cahill, who was on for a very short time. Mm-hmm. That Those was must difficult... have been early 90s. Uh, it was early 90s. They came, uh, I believe, 91-ish or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, no point there. But now here's your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Uh, We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. The answer is worth up to three points. One of the most iconic SNL characters in the 1990s was Julia Sweeney's Pat, who appeared in more than ten sketches in three years and was a lead in his or her own movie, which at some point played in theaters right here in Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) I promise that's the last time I'll do that. Or not. Sarah Spain for up to three points. What was the name of Pat's movie? With which SNL host did Pat have an on-camera kiss? And what was Pat's last name, which she shared with a prominent sports figure of that time? Ooh, boy. Very specific, deep Pat black hole. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how many people ever found Pat's. I'm not going to get it. Yeah, we were all thinking it. It's okay. We were all thinking it. Um... (laughs) So we're looking for the I name wasn't of the thinking it, but I am now. <laughs> <laughs> so again, we're looking for the name of the movie. We're looking for which host did she have or he have an on-camera kiss, and what was Pat's last name? I believe the movie was called It's Pat. All right. I'm going to guess Pat's last name. I mean, I'm going to know with authority. <laughs> Pat's last name was Ewing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> audience likes it. Yep. And it's Pat and... The host with whom Pat had an on-camera kiss. Going based on odds, I'll go with Alec Baldwin. All right. Uh, Helen is taking note of your answer. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight via FaceTime from Spokane, Washington, is an award-winning actor and writer whose many accomplishments include... Four hit seasons on Saturday Night Live. It's Julia Sweeney. Hello, Julia Sweeney. Can you hear us? Hello. Oh, my God. It sounds like Julia Sweeney. (laughs) (laughs) Julia Sweeney. We're so happy to speak with you. What, What are you doing in Spokane? visiting my mother's birthday her 82nd birthday was yesterday so i'm here to celebrate with her oh that's lovely nice. well well thank you for ignoring your mother for uh this this show to talk to with us for a while that's perfectly fine <laughs> all right good uh now you actually lived in chicago or in the chicago area until quite recently 
Yes, that's right. I was in Wilmette um, for 10 years, and I just moved back to L.A. about um, eight or nine months ago. And uh, why did you uh, come to live in Chicago for those 10 years? It was love. Aww. Um, I, <laughs> I met a guy who had a business in Evanston, a scientist who made scientific instruments, and I married him and moved to Wilmette. Oh, yes. the city of love, scientists. Yes. yes. <laughs> now, uh, I, I know you from uh, your many years in Los Angeles performing as a storyteller with these wonderful one-person shows. Uh, you actually got a Grammy nomination for your recording of one of those. What was, the, what was the Grammy experience like for you? Oh, it was really, it was so exciting. Oh, my God. That was very, I, my favorite part of it wasn't the show. It was watching the rehearsals because I got to see all the musical acts come in and do their rehearsals, including Pavarotti. Oh, wow. very nice. Yeah, that was very exciting. And I'm sure when you were when you were thinking about uh, performing a one-person show, uh, you were thinking, one day I'll get nominated for a Grammy for this. <laughs> Every single second. <laughs> <laughs> now, your latest show, uh, tell us about that. I know it's been playing in Los Angeles, and, and I believe uh, you're going to be touring as well? Um, yeah, I have this show. that Actually, I developed it at Second City last year, and it's called Julia Sweeney, Older and Wider. And I've been doing it around. I've been doing it in... L.A. I did it at the Guffman Theater. I did a run there in L.A. And I'm going to be in New York in November at Joe's Pub. And then I'm filming it in Seattle in February. So, Oh, that's yeah. very exciting. Great. Yeah, it is exciting. Uh, well, let's talk about uh, your time at Saturday Night Live. I, I was surprised when I was, when I was preparing these questions that you were only on for four seasons because you seem to have such an impact uh, that, that seemed to go on for much longer. I know. And, you know, it seemed much longer at the time. <laughs> in, a, in a good way? Um, <laughs> um yeah, in okay. a good way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, in mostly a good way. Yes. <laughs> uh, so we, a lot of hosts came through the, uh, during that time. Uh, who were some of your favorite hosts that you got to work with or, or musical acts that you got to uh, see perform up close? Oh, my God. There's so many. Well, the music. Oh, my God. Elvis Costello and Nirvana and R.E.M. And, oh, my God, there was just this one every week was like another icon. Bonnie Raitt, I remember that was exciting. Oh, my God, there's so many. And then the hosts, well, for me personally, because I'm a huge fan of Catherine O'Hara, and in a lot of ways, because of SCTV, I was so in love with that show. That's kind of why I even got into the business. Wow. So when she hosted the show, that for me, that was super meaningful. Mm. And um, Alec Baldwin, of course, you know, there was everybody... There was really almost everyone was great. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> someone that I know that you loved uh, that we did not mention uh, earlier that I wanted to acknowledge was Phil Hartman, and I know he was a mentor to you in some ways. H how exactly did, did Phil mentor you? Well, he was my teacher at the Groundlings. He was um, he was just teaching then. He was actually a graphic designer and a comedian and a writer, and um, he taught me my second level at the Groundlings, and we became friends. And then he got on SNL, and we stayed in touch, and so. I think he vouched for me being a good person to Lorne and, you know, and then when I was on the show, he was really like a big brother the whole time I was there. So, yeah, I still oh. miss him a lot. Yeah. I miss him as well and I never met him, but I, 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 so I, I have such a great affection uh, just from watching him from afar. That's yeah. so amazing. I, now, I met you at the Groundlings. You're still... That's right. We're, you're still, like, in it. Yes, I mean, I've been doing improv shows here and there as I can. And we had fun that night. Was we, that an Uncle Joe show or was it a Thursday show? I can't remember. It was. I wasn't it a storytelling show or something like that. But I just remember walking into the Growlings being like, "Is that Julia Sweeney? <laughs> this yes. is crazy. What even is my life?" 
I'm going to be buried under the Groundling stage. I love it there. <laughs> and for those who don't know, in Chicago, that, that's sort of uh, uh, L.A.'s version of what the second city is here. Yes, exactly. That was the biggest thing that changed my life, walking into that theater. And I was an accountant when I walked into that theater. What? Wow. <laughs> yes. You were an and accountant? And I changed my whole life. Wow. You and Bob Newhart. Yeah. Right. He was the, yeah. the button, the button down to uh, mine. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, all and right, Bill let's... Curtis, I know you too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to talk to you. you yes. You sound beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. Still good. Well, I am beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about the character Pat. Uh, how long did it take to get into the costume and makeup for when you were doing Pat? Uh, maybe on, on Saturday Night Live versus the movie, if there was a difference. An embarrassingly short amount of time. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, there was, I had a fat suit and um, a wig, and I just drew the um, eyebrows on, and then I just kind of put makeup all over my face, like, you know, like, so I tried not to have any color in my cheeks. And on my lips, I put the makeup sort of on my lips, too. So I kind of washed myself out. And put the glasses on, and then the clothes. That was it. It was very quick. (laughs) Well, what a transformation! Yes. Yes. And then, of course, the the internal, the actor's process of how you then become the character as well. I'm sure. Oh, that started in early childhood. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, Pat has been analyzed a lot uh, in in recent years as people go back and and look at it with a with a more contemporary take. And in fact, I've read that you actually spoke at NYU about the character. Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, yes, I did. Um, well, actually, I spoke at NYU a couple of times. I actually just did a... I was I was beamed into a classroom there this summer. But um, at the time, I think I did a gender studies class, and I came in and talked to the students about Pat, which was really fun and great. Um, yeah. And there's been a lot of commentary lately about, uh, about whether the, the character was transphobic or questioning gender is appropriate. What, what, what's your take on it? You have a very interesting uh, opinion about that. I will say this. You know, when I came up with the Pat character, what was funny to me was that Pat was androgynous to others, but to Pat, Pat's self, Pat was definitely a man or a woman and heterosexual and totally fine with it. We just didn't know if Pat was a man or a woman. <laughs> right. So, so we would play around with these funny things where Pat would say how much, you know, how sexual Pat, how I'm a really <laughs> sexual being, really in touch with my sexuality. But because people called Pat androgynous and we had the song androgynous, and then because people in the world are, you know, non-binary and androgynous, it got kind of a negative view, I think. And that was unfortunate. I didn't really mean it to be that way. And it's interesting, uh, there were some comments made by a Chicago uh, actor and writer named Abby McEnany. She went from having a negative experience about experiencing the Pat character growing up to actually being able to to talk and work with you. Tell, Tell us about that. Oh, my God. Okay, first of all, I love Abby so much. I met her at Second City. She was doing a one-person show where she talked about, in high school, everyone called her Pat, because I guess she really did look a lot like Pat. (laughs) And it was very traumatic, as it would be. I could totally understand that. And so it was kind of like I ruined her life, was one of the things, one of her little things she talked about in her one-person show. And um, another Second City guy thought, let's just film some little webisodes, you know, from her life. And that was one. And I was developing my show there, so they asked me to come and do... you know, like a little kind of sketch where she's on a date and she, she says, Oh, there's Julie Sweeney. She ruined my life. And then there's sort of a confrontation. And then we all end up becoming friends. And it's very funny. 
And then, um, so we shot this like about a year ago. Well, it ended up going to Sundance. They turned it into a pilot. It went to Sundance. And now it's a show that's going to be on Showtime that wow. I'm going to be on as myself and Abby is starring in. Which so is cool. so exciting. Yes, really exciting. I think, that's very, I think that's a great lesson about opening up a dialogue and, and what can come yeah. from that. All right, Julia, let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the questions that we asked of Sarah Spain. First, we wanted to know what was the name of Pat's movie. Helen, what did Sarah say? Sarah said, it's Pat. And Julia Sweeney? That's right. That's right. That's one point for Sarah Spain. Uh, Next, we wanted to know with which SNL host did Pat have an on-camera kiss? Helen, what did Sarah say? Sarah said Alec Baldwin. And Julia Sweeney? Harvey Keitel. So close. So close. But I like that you were playing the odds, Sarah. Yeah. That did, that was a good guess. No, no point there. And finally, we wanted. Wait, to... you kissed Harvey Keitel? <laughs> I did. How was it? It was fantastic, but I, <laughs> I had to do it as Pat, so it wasn't as exciting. As <laughs> <laughs> I, I imagine that fat suit was getting a little sweaty under there. That's yeah. exciting. Uh, and finally, we wanted to know uh, what was Pat's last name that he or she shared with a prominent sports figure of that time. Helen, what did Sarah say? Sarah said Ewing. Pat Ewing. And Julia Sweeney? Pat Riley. Pat Riley. Oh, so Pretty close. close. <laughs> very, very close. So close. Yes, in the Knicks family there. Yes. Uh, excellent. So no point there. Uh, uh, Sarah, is there anything you'd like to ask or say to Julia Sweeney? What will have her here? Well, uh, as whenever I meet anyone from Saturday Night Live, I ask, can you uh, have Lauren put me on the show? But I'm going to skip that one this time. Uh, that's my lifelong dream. I'm not giving it up. Uh, but... Julia is on the show um, uh, now. I'm shrill. Pres- Thank you, Shrill. Uh, I'm obsessed with Lindy West, and I believe it's already been picked up for season two, so I want to see if she can give us yes. season two spoilers. Yes, yes, I'm sure they would appreciate that over there at Hulu. Oh, yes, you know, they've told, they've told me, yes, I should reveal everything that happens on the show to anyone I meet. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> You're Do so it. funny on that show. Oh, thank you. I'm so actually on Sunday. I fly back to Portland to shoot another episode. So I'm really I'm so happy about it. I really I'm just thrilled to be on it. Absolutely. Uh, Julia, people want to find out more about what you're up to. Where can they go? Uh, They can see me on Twitter or find me on Twitter under Jay is back in town. Or you can just look under Julia Sweeney or JuliaSweeney.com. That's where I have my shows. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to uh, talk with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Say hi to your mom, Julia Sweeney, ladies and gentlemen. Love her. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, you guys. Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Sarah Spain has six points and Bill Curtis has two points with a round of questions coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Bill about a topic he knows about. Plus, later, Sarah and Bill will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Hi, I'm the JV Club podcast, Janet Varney, and I used to suffer from indecision. I couldn't choose between Star Wars and Star Trek, whether to call or text, or the best way to cook my eggs. But now, thanks to my weekly dose of We Got This on Maximum Fun, my decisions are made for me. Thanks, Mark and Hal! Warning, We Got This may cause shouting, phone throwing, the illusion that the hosts can hear you, laughter on public transit, and death. We Got This with Mark and Hal. We know what's best. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Sarah Spain with six points and Bill Curtis with two points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. 
Bill Curtis, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about Frank Sinatra's big band music, World War II in Okinawa, and The Prairie. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about Frank Sinatra's big band music. I do. One interesting thing is that he didn't know how to read music. Mm. It's hard to, uh, hard to believe. But he had such a great um, instinct for it. Mm. And Nelson Riddle was the guy who said, but, you know, don't even teach him how to mm. It just came naturally. If he felt the song at you, kind of. Well, and that combination of Nelson Riddle, the arranger mm -hmm. and conductor, and Frank Sinatra reigned supreme. Uh, all right. You also said you know a lot about World War II in Okinawa. My dad was at Okinawa, mm. and uh, he was um, commanding a, uh, an air squadron that serviced both the Army divisions and the Marines. And he got a call one day, and uh, they said, uh, we're pinned down on Conical Hill. We've lost 300 guys, and we cannot get at the Japanese emplacements. They happen to be on the other side. Artillery can't get them. We can't rush them. So can you um, do the unpardonable sin, take your squadron, and come at our own lines no and drop your bombs? Well, close air support was uh, sort of the Marine thing. And sure enough, they came in and uh, dropped the bombs. And they hit almost every one, except one. And that bomb skipped and landed in the headquarters tent of the Army Division that was right 150 yards from the Japanese uh, positions. And it was the only one that was a dud. You're sweating. Uh, and suddenly, this show has turned to the History Channel. No, it's... Wow. Well, if you're telling history like that, I, I think mean, we can, I think we can keep I up. Really, I couldn't have been leaning in farther. Yeah. I was riveted. Well, and how, how we pull humor out of that, I don't know. Well, perhaps we'll find out. Anyway, uh, that's why I chose it. Yeah, because of your, your personal connection with your father yep, as well. Yep. Uh, and then finally, you said you know a lot about the prairie. The prairie. The prairie will save us from global warming. Uh, because the prairie developed, evolved, from three elements. One, buffalo trampled down all the grass on top. Um, fires started by lightning, burned it up, and drought took it away. So for the native plants to survive, they had to go deep with their roots, hmm. 10 feet, 14 feet. And as they did, they created a subterranean world with microbes, and they all eat carbon. So, and um, uh, I have a test plot working with the Chicago Botanic Garden and uh, kids from the North Northwestern and Loyola, and we are testing a plant that can grow naturally in the prairie. Uh, it has a deep root. It has a wheat kernel, no till, no fertilizer. And I say that if we can create value to the prairie, we don't have to dig it up mm. and plant the annual wheat and corn. Wow. Very, very interesting, sure. He should get points for that. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, how many points is saving the planet? Yeah. Hmm. I, I have to say, I did not think that talking about grass would be as fascinating, but when you have Bill Curtis, that's what you get. All right, everybody, Bill Curtis, so to summarize, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about Frank Sinatra's big band music, World War II in Okinawa, and the Prairie. Today we're going to quiz you about World War II in Okinawa. Oh, my God. 
Uh, so, uh, have you been to Okinawa? I never have been there. You have not been there. No. Uh, do you study up on uh, on the war and specifically? The I battle? read. Yeah, you do. I read about it. Excellent. All right. Well, we're gonna. We obviously it's a serious t- subject. We're gonna uh, honor the experience of it, but also try to have some fun with it. Uh, just ahead, we're gonna enlist the help of a bona fide expert in the topic to test your mastery in the subject with our expert level question. But before that, to give you a chance to show off, here are five trivia questions, each worth one point. If you want it, your lot a total of two hints for these five questions. Sarah, of course, do listen closely because you can steal if Bill gets any of them wrong. <laughs> Sarah, by the way, how much do you know about World War II in Okinawa? I'm going to go with literally nothing. All right. <laughs> do you know what Okinawa is? I've heard of it. How, do you know what World War II is? I've heard of it. <laughs> Bill, I think it's your game to lose. Here we go. <laughs> Question number one. Some Japanese pilots deliberately crashed their planes into American ships in Okinawa. What were these pilots called? Kamikaze. Helen? Yeah, that is that correct. That, of course, is correct. Kamikaze. <laughs> Fun fact, kamikaze shares its name with a cocktail made with equal parts vodka, triple sec, and lime juice, or when I have it, one part vodka. <laughs> Same. I knew that. <laughs> oh, I knew that part. I'm sorry, Same. you're not going to chance to steal on the fun fact. Uh, Bill, question number two. On April 7, 1945, the Allied fleet notched a major victory in the Battle of Okinawa when it sank the largest battleship ever built. What was it called? Would that be the Kuragawa? Helen, is it the Kuragawa? It is not No, the I'm terribly sorry. Sarah Spain with a chance to steal. <laughs> um, I'm guessing a battleship name. Yep. And it was a Japanese one. You're on it. I'm going to refrain from being culturally insensitive. <laughs> <laughs> I almost want to give Sarah a half point just for <laughs> that. point for that. <laughs> so no answer like, there? Don't just start saying syllables, a big one. No, no, the answer we were looking for is Yamato, the Yamato ship. Yamato. Uh, Yamato cool. is the largest battleship ever built. It is Japanese for Great Harmony. Uh, no point there. Let's see if you can bounce back with question number three. As a reminder, you do have two hints available. Question number three for Bill Curtis. What was the name of the U.S. military operation that included the invasion of Okinawa? Yes, I just read it uh, as I was boning up on this, uh, but I cannot remember. <laughs> That's all right. That happens. Would you, would you like that first hint? I would. Helen, how about that first hint? At Chicago Cut Steakhouse, a wedge of this costs $18. A wedge of that costs 18 Kobe? Helen, is it Kobe? Is that a wedge? Don't give him another hint. I know this one. <laughs> Helen, is it, is it Kobe? It is not. No, I'm terribly sorry, Bill Curtis. Here with a chance to steal. Iceberg lettuce or a wedge salad. So therefore, it's Operation... Wedge. Oh, Iceberg. <laughs> Helen, is it Operation Iceberg? That is correct. That is correct, Sarah, with a successful steal. Wow. It is Iceberg. I, th- I thought the planning of Okinawa took a lot of uh, logistics. <laughs> Getting you to that answer took a lot of... Uh, that's a successful steal for Sarah. Uh, by the way, $18 for a salad. A wedge salad. A wedge salad. That's ridiculous. Yes, unless it comes with Bluetooth. I don't understand why you would pay that much. For it. All right, let's see if we can bounce back with question number four. Of the many people who died in Okinawa, one was the highest-ranking U.S. officer killed by enemy fire during all of World War II. What was his name? Mm. Would you like that second hint? <laughs> yeah. Helen, how about that second hint? He shares his last name with the Chicago Cubs' first baseman from 1977 to 1984. Bill's face tells me that was not a helpful hint. (laughs) I really was trying to help. Uh, Bill, do you have a guess? Either the general or the baseball player. Yes. Um, Whose name would be... Banks. Oh, very good guess. Helen, is it Banks? It is not Banks. No, but let's play two, right, guys? Uh, That means Sarah with another chance to steal. My worst nightmare was being quizzed on something I should know about sports. Yeah. 
um, but I was not alive, so I'll give you that one. Okay. This is not the correct answer. I'm going to go with Sandberg. Is it Sandberg? It is not. No, not Ryan Sandberg, who played uh, third and then second base. No, uh, we were looking for Buckner, Lieutenant oh. General Simon Boulevard Buckner, Jr. I, Bill Buckner, of yes. course, the first baseman during that time. A little trouble there. Let's see how you do in question number five. Not all the stories of the Battle of Okinawa are sad. What was the name of the medic who was awarded the Medal of Honor after pulling 75 injured men to safety and lowering them down a cliff during the Battle of Okinawa? Hint? Uh, we don't usually offer a third hint, but he's Bill Curtis. I think we're going to yeah. do it. Helen, what about that hint? Andrew Garfield was nominated for an Oscar for playing him in the film Hacksaw Ridge. I know Hacksaw Ridge. I don't know the uh, don't, medal. Don't know honor. the name. I'm sorry. I Sarah with a chance to steal. Bill Hacksaw. <laughs> 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 it stands to reason. Helen, was it Bill Hacksaw? It was not. No, I'm terribly sorry. The correct answer was Desmond Doss. Desmond Doss. Desmond that was a number Doss. five. That was a difficult yeah. question. Uh, here now is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. <laughs> we'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. The correct answer is worth up to three points. Bill, the landing on Okinawa was quite an operation involving the Navy's Fifth Fleet and more than 180,000 U.S. Army and U.S. Marine Corps troops. For up to three points, on what holiday did Allied forces land on Okinawa, which division of Japan's army defended Okinawa, and at what beach did the main landing take place? Can you believe that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, think, I think there's at least, there's at least two of these that are guessable. So uh, what holiday... Uh, July 4th. July 4th, all right. And then we're looking for uh, the number of the division of Japan's army defending the island? 10th. 10, all right, fine. great. And then finally, at what beach did the main landings take place? Ryukyu. At Ryukyu. Okay, uh, Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? And yeah. Helen, remember, you do want to go come back to... Oh. Uh, <laughs> Bill Curtis has a knife. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think Bill Curtis uh, is used to the tables being turned upon I, him. Yeah. I feel like this might have been a horrible mistake. <laughs> Helen, who do we have with us tonight? Here with us tonight is a Navy veteran who served aboard the USS Arakara during World War II, where he saw action in the D-Day invasion in France and in the Battle of Okinawa. It's John Ulinsky. John Ulinsky, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. A standing ovation, well deserved for Mr. Ulinsky. Mr. Yulinski shaking hands with Bill Curtis and with Sarah Spain. I believe that is our first standing ovation for an expert or guest on the show, and I have to say, well deserved, sir. Eric Tara. Mr. Yulinski, if I may ask, how young of a man are you? I'm 95 years old wow. and four months. Congratulations. Wow. We want to talk to you about your uh, Navy service, of course, in World War II, but first I have to ask, wh to what do you credit your long life? The credit to my long life is that one thing you have to learn to understand that you can only do so much and you don't overdo anything that you can't do. And eat a real good diet, and one thing else, I never smoked in my life. Oh, okay. <laughs> seems to make sense. Uh, Tell us how and why you joined the Navy going into World War II. 
the reason why I went in the Navy was because I, I felt I didn't want to go to a foxhole anywhere, and I knew, <laughs> I knew if I was going to go into the Navy, I would sleep in a bunk, I'd get three square meals a day, and I could take a shower every day. <laughs> wow. You, you worked, uh, if I have this right, as a motor machinist mate second class. Yes. Uh, what did that involve? See, most of the ships in the Navy at that time were propelled by steam. And our ship was going to be one of the first ships that was converted into diesel electric. And so I happened to have a little aptitude toward mechanics. And so when I was at Navy at uh, Great Lakes, they sent me to Navy Pier here in Chicago. And I learned about the diesel engine, and that's become, that was my life thereafter. Wow. And uh, we're going to enter some what might be some troubling memories, so uh, I, I'm going to try to be respectful, uh, and I obviously appreciate all that you've done. What was it like as a 19-year-old being there on D-Day? You didn't actually, it felt like there was things to be done, but the thing is, we, had, we were fighting three idiots who try to rule the world. Mm. And we thought, well, we're not going to, if we don't knock those three idiots out, we're going to have a heck of a different life in our life. And I am the happiest guy to be part of that that knocked these three idiots out of the world. Damn right. So you're there on D-Day. You're seeing a lot of our boys get shot at. There's a lot, a lot of uh, awful things that you saw. But when did you start to realize that it was a success, that the invasion of D-Day worked? Well, it really wasn't until maybe the second or third day that you realized that they had made progress because the first couple of two, three days there, it was a, a horrendous situation. We lost many, many men, and it's, it's just turned your stomach to see all of these young men who lost their lives and gave up so that we can have the life that we have today. Right. So after D-Day, what do you do? Do you get some R&R? Well, when we got through with the Normandy invasion and the southern France invasion, we got to get R&R and they send us to Italy. And it was just by a coincidence, most of the guys, when you had liberty, everybody wanted to go out and whoop it up and all, and because, you know, we had a hard time. There were two other fellows beside me. We were all from Cleveland, Ohio. We all went to different schools, and we all played football against one another, but we never knew we were going to be on the same ship until we got on a board ship. So when we went, we thought, well, we're in Rome, so we decided to go to see the, the Vatican. And lo and behold, we went to the Vatican, and the Pope, he spoke in many different languages, and he had so many sessions each day. And he was carried from his chambers to where we were at by six Swiss guards, and they looked like clowns with the uniform <laughs> that they had. But all in all, it was a very inspiring thing because as he was going back to his chambers and he says, as I make the sign of the cross, and he says, as I extend my hand there, if you so wish, you could touch my hand and kiss my ring. And lo and behold, right there, I touched his hand and kissed his ring. Mm. Wow. 
Oh my gosh. And you made it out. Well, let's get to the Battle of Okinawa. Uh, you must have seen some amazing things, and, and your ship, which, which I don't think we mentioned, was a tugboat, actually, yeah. uh, acted as a tug, uh, actually got to save and rescue some ships that had been attacked by kamikaze pilots. Well, it's, we, actually, we had so many of these uh, destroyers hit by kamikazes, and these kamikazes were planes that they would take and dive into the ship because right. they wanted to be the martyr for their emperor. And it, at least, uh, to my knowledge, there must have been at least 60 destroyers that were hit by these kamikazes. In fact, we, we almost got hit by one, but lo and behold, they missed us, and God wow. bless us for that. Absolutely. But the thing is, it was so horrendous to see all of these here ships hit. And our job was, when, as soon as they were hit, we would take them to a place called Karemareta, and that was an atoll, and that was a place where any ship that was hit, they would take it in, in there, and there was a dry dock, and they'd take this destroyer and put it in there and remove any dead bodies or anything mm. from down in the chambers where they were trapped. So it was a priority to, to even if a ship couldn't sail anymore, even if people on there had already been killed, it was a priority to, to recover them, oh, to bring yes, them back, yes, and you were involved yes, in that. Yes, that was their job, yeah. Wow. I mean, they, they, actually, the one ship that we did pull, it was damaged so bad, and the guy, they're, they're, the way we were told, that there were about 60 crew members trapped in the, in the lower level, and when they removed them, they took all the fellas into a hospital ship there. What they did with them, I don't know. But the ship was then taken and towed out to sea, and it was sunk. Because mm. he wanted to pay honor and respect yes. to, the, to the people yeah. who'd served. Unbelievable. I can't believe how sharp your memories are of everything still. Have you, you, you remember everything. Well, let me tell you one thing. When this comes to life, life, your computer registers all the time. Mm. And my computer is so charged that it never loses anything that I've ever done in my life. You, I think, sir, are a supercomputer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, the last thing I want to ask you about, so we can, so we can end on a happy note, uh, when you came back uh, from the service, I understand that you received some news when you came back. What was that? I had a little son. <gasps> You know, we didn't get mail like you had today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we didn't have this here iPhone or <laughs> any of that. I'm over here, Mom. Honey, I love you. We didn't have that. Maybe I didn't get mail for three, uh, for a week or a month. It all depends because we were constantly on the move, and they didn't have a mail ship following us everywhere we went. And that was the thing. So that's how you found out that you were a father was when you yes, got home from the yes, war. That must yes. have been a pretty nice uh, well, pretty nice come Well, the boy was already four months old when I got Wow. Home. Unbelievable. Uh, I could hear your stories all night, but uh, let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned, as if that even matters anymore. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Mr. Yulinski, you heard the questions that we asked of Bill Curtis about the Battle of Okinawa. First, we asked him on what holiday the landing on Okinawa took place. Helen, what did Bill say? Bill said July 4th. And Mr. Yulinski? No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what was the holiday? 
The holiday was Easter Sunday, April 1st on April Fool's Day, and it was no April Fool's Day. <laughs> Not, at all. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. No point there. Uh, by the way, we also would have accepted Passover. Uh, <laughs> it's true. It was during Passover. Uh, next, we wanted to know what division of Japan's army defended Okinawa. Helen, what did Bill say? Bill said the 10th Division. 32nd Division. The 32nd Division. Sorry, no point there. And finally, we wanted to know on what beach did the landings take place. Helen, what did Bill say? Bill said Ryuku. Hagushi. It was Hagushi, Bill. Sorry, no point there. As if the points even matter just to hear those stories. Uh, I want to acknowledge there's a service called Honor Flight at honorflightchicago.org that uh, helped us find you and I believe also helped bring you to uh, a war memorial. So we want to thank the people at honorflightchicago.org. We're so appreciative that you joined us. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. John Ulinski. Awesome. Helen, what is our score as we head into our final round? At the end of that round, Sarah Spain has seven points, and Bill Curtis has three points. All right, now it is time for our final round. We call Fast Facts. I'll read ten statements, and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Sarah and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer will be worth one point. This will determine the winner. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Sarah, one of Chicago's nicknames is the City of Broad Shoulders. True. Correct. Bill, the person who gave Chicago that nickname was Walt Disney. Wrong. In other words, false. <laughs> Correct. That's right. It's from a poem by Carl Sandburg. He actually called it the city of big shoulders. Sarah, Walt Disney was born in Chicago. False. Incorrect. No, it's true. Bill, Walt Disney's childhood home in Chicago. My boss. What's that? Whoops. Oh. <laughs> ESPN is a proud Disney company. We won't tell if you won't tell. Okay. Bill, Walt Disney's childhood home in Chicago was designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. False. Correct. Sarah, Walt Disney's childhood home in Chicago was designed by his parents. True. Correct. That's right. They built it, too. Bill, in Chicago, there was a Walt Disney magnet school. Yes. In other words? True. God damn it. Sorry. Correct. That's right, Sarah. Walt Disney Magnet School has a gift shop where you can buy a Walt Disney Magnet magnet. False. Correct. I just thought it was silly. Bill, in Chicago, there was another Walt Disney Magnet School called Disney 2. False. Incorrect. No, there really is. They made a sequel. Really Disney is. made a sequel to a school. Sarah, in Chicago, there was another Walt Disney Magnet School called Disney 3. Sounds like something we would do, but false. Correct. That's a good, very, very good way to catch us out. Bill, when students graduate from Disney Magnet Schools, they wear graduation caps with mouse ears. <laughs> false. Correct. Oh, but wouldn't that be awesome? And finally, Sarah, those hats are sold in the school gift shop. False. We've established there is no gift shop. Let's give a nice hand to both of our contestants. Bill Cordes and Sarah Spain as Helen tabulates the final score. Helen, are you ready to announce a winner on today's program? I am. At the end of the game, Sarah Spain has 10 points and Bill Curtis has 7 points. Congratulations, Sarah Spain. You are the facting champion. Sarah. Sarah, what will you do with your championship? I'm going to buy Bill's resplendent raspberry blazer off of him. <laughs> This is why you have to see the shows in person. you got to check out the Raspberry Blazers. That just leaves us to uh, let our guests promote anything they would like. Sarah Spain, where can people find you? Uh, my radio show, Spain & Company, is on 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern every week, not on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. My podcast, That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, drops every week on Tuesdays on the ESPN app and everywhere you find your podcasts. You can see me on Around the Horn twice a week. And my writing for ESPNW.com and elsewhere along the ESPN properties. I love Disney. <laughs> <laughs> and we loved having Miss Sarah Spain. <laughs> Bill Curtis, where can people find your work? 
American Greed, uh, Stacey Keach is our narrator, and we have our premieres that are going, appearing at Monday nights at 9 o'clock Central Standard Time. Excellent. Wonderful to have you, Mr. Bill Curtis. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, do you realize how lucky you are? Because my hosting partner is Ms. Helen Hong. Yay! What do you have going on, Helen Hong? Sometimes I'm hurt on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. We'll see if Bill Curtis lets me back. <laughs> uh, you can find my performance calendar at HelenHong.com, and you can follow me on the socials at FunnyHelenHong, because some other biatch named Helen Hong has my handle. We're glad we have a handle, watch this segue, of Helen Hong being on our show. Helen Hong! Oh, boy. Uh, and me, I'll be working on my segues in a bar later. Uh, you can uh, find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith, on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leads me to thank Sarah Spain, Bill Curtis, Julia Sweeney, John Ulinsky, and Helen Hong. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like FM Professor did. He said, great for the daddy-daughter time. My nine-year-old and I love listening together. She especially loves funny Helen Hong. You should hear her laugh when she overhears someone say, well, actually. Thanks, FM Professor. Inspiration to girls, Helen Hong. <laughs> well, actually. <laughs> Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from Sleeping Village in Chicago, Illinois. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Go Fact Yourself's theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura. Swisher. The show is edited by Julian Burrell. Special thanks to Charlie Sullivan, Christian Malmeen, Victoria Sanders, Clint Tauscher, Cody Lawrence, Steve Kometko, Tom Kometko, Raphael Leone, Edna Ho at Honor Flights Chicago, Dave McKeever, Natalie Van Stratton, Sarah and Paul Maritato, Greg and Mona Yeager, and Billy, Kyle, Kyle, Kristen, Alejandro, Johnny, and everyone else here at Sleeping Village in Chicago. I've been Helen Hong! Let's go learn about World War II! Hey everybody, it's Jay Keith. On the next episode of Go Fact Yourself, we're back in Chicago. He is an award-winning playwright, screenwriter, author, and journalist who for over 20 years has been the host of the Peabody-winning Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on NPR. It's Peter Sagal! Peter Sagal! It says in your bio that you were on Jeopardy, and so naturally I assumed that you were on Celebrity Jeopardy. No. But you were actually were on I was Real on, Jeopardy. I was on Actual Jeopardy, and I, I, w I was on Actual Jeopardy, and I actually lost. Oh. They do the thing, and said, well, let's meet our contestants. I was like minus 400. And he said, so Peter, it says here you're a writer. I went out to Hollywood to be a writer. It says you're a writer. Have you, have you written anything? Uh, I was like, no. He said, well, how are you making your money? I said, well, I'm on Jeopardy. <laughs> and Alex Trebek said, well, that little minus thing in front of your number, that's a problem then for you. You need to change that. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. <laughs>
She is the artistic director of Story Studio Chicago and the author of several books, including The Great Believers, which was a finalist for the 2019 Pulitzer Prize. It's Rebecca Mackay. Rebecca Mackay. Congratulations on your Pulitzer thank, nomination. Thank you. Very exciting. <laughs> Uh, how do you find out that you're nominated and how do you find out that you didn't win? Well, they sent me a letter that I got like weeks later that was kind of, it kind of felt like a, a college rejection letter. But it was it was a funny thing to get. Do you get think the winner the got a big thick envelope and they knew before they opened it? <laughs> like jumped up and down. Yeah. Yeah. That's Go Fact Yourself every first and third Friday here at Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.